Welcome to Dispatches from Mount Caz, conversations from a creative community. In this episode, Albert, Christina, and Aranea discuss the beginner's mindset and the value of approaching things with passion and curiosity. Well, uh, we can just start with like, what does amateur mean to y'all? Because actually when I told Alicia about this mm-hmm. idea, she was mm-hmm. like, oh, I have a definition of amateur. I'm curious what y'all mm. think of it because she has sort of a negative um, idea of amateur. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, how do y'all think of it, that word and that concept? Yeah. Because I don't mm. think we're actually meaning That's true. Yeah. like amateur as the dictionary definition of right. amateur. Right. It's more like an ethos. Um, what does amateur mean to me? I think growing up, it, I definitely had the negative mm-hmm. connotation because all through school, the idea was that you needed to do everything professionally. Mm-hmm. Right. Like amateur was the antithesis of professional mm-hmm. and we were all trying to be professional. I, I always think about scrappiness. <laughs> like I really like uh, amateur, the image that amateur uh, brings to me is like a lot of, a lot of like digging through trash and like finding weird shit and just like putting it all together and making like, you know, like I think about, I think about people who are like making things out of junk. Like I mm. think about you know the, the steampunk tinkerers and the and like goblins mm. and stuff like amateur like that amateur ethos uh, uh, is really embedded in that kind of imagery for me. Wait, why? <laughs> uh, because I think there's like there's something very anti-professional about it. There's like it's it's experimental. Experimental. I it's yeah. there's like it's non. Um, it's definitely non-professional. It's it's there's a lot of like exploration and experimenting. Mm-hmm. And there's something about being driven by just like wanting to try something out Mm -hmm. and then seeing what works. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's tied to like uh, the like whatever the junkyard uh, image evokes, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of times is about like uh, uh, about the low stakesness of it. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because it's like oh i'm just grabbing trash so like it's not like i'm investing a lot in this so i so i am freed up to mm-hmm. try stuff so yeah. those are those are connected for me yeah. yeah yeah like experimental and low stakes yeah those feel good yeah and i think to me i always associate amateur with beginner's mind okay um you know that concept Mm-mm. so in i think it's in zen one of the one of those philosophies and traditions um <laughs> It's about like approaching things with, there's a saying of approaching things with a beginner's mind. So even if you have practiced meditation for like decades, like be recognizing and being humble enough to know that you are still a beginner. Like you're still always learning something and that you can never be, you can't figure it out. You right. can't like achieve you can't, it. You can't solve it. You can't right? solve yeah, it, right? Yeah. Like you always, and so, and that having that ethos applied to a lot of different things means that you can approach it with a freshness and a curiosity and a like humility that I think is really um, important and sort of like a childlike wonder mm. to like anything in yeah. life. Yeah, I think that uh, it's it's nice to bring like the 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 definition or the etymology of amateur is about like love, right? Is amateur's like root is related to like amicable or like uh, what is the what is the word for lover? Amor. Yeah, yeah, amor. 
Really? Um, yeah, yeah. So like the like an amateur is a person who loves something and okay. does it for love rather than you know mm. money or whatever. And I think like when you talk about the beginner's mind giving a pursuit a freshness. I think that's like like it, it relates to me somehow. There's like mm. a resonance with like this idea of something that like like something can be like can only be fresh if you have uh, if you don't let it go stale and if you like if you continue to approach it with like a with a passion. When have y'all experienced that in your lives? Like in terms of like, are there experiences or? Scenes are things that you have entered as an amateur and really loved it, and or like, are there things that you do and you've been doing for a long time that you're still able to approach with that sort of amateur ethos? I wonder if my my endeavors with music have always been sort of amateurish because in college I only ever did a music minor, so it was always like this isn't going to be my job, so I'm just doing this because I like it, even though some people. In that program, we're not we're maybe more serious, quote mm-hmm. unquote, serious mm-hmm. about it. But I was always able to approach it from a level of passion. Like when I did my voice lessons, I was able to sing the songs I wanted to sing mm-hmm. rather than ones that I thought would get me better grades. <laughs> <laughs> and I think with learning chords and learning how to play things, and with how I've slowly learned about music theory, I think it's always been a, more an interest rather than a necessity. And I don't think that's ever gone away. I kind of love how music can be that mm. so much more than other things for some reason. That there's something acceptable about music being just a thing that you like, mm. you know, you just pull up a guitar every once in a while and you play it or you sing in the shower or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like those are, it's, mm-hmm. it's great that that's a thing when I see, you know, so much of uh, other art mediums being like, oh, we have to like figure out how to monetize it or yeah. whatever. Yeah, if you're interested in it at all, you got to figure out how to like sell it somehow. Yeah. My friend Marion Call is a singer-songwriter and she was writing recently about... She's, she's been a successful touring musician, indie musician, and she's produced a bunch of albums, um, but she's deliberately trying to push herself to grow. So now she's sort of back in that amateur space again because she's like learning new mm-hmm. instruments and learning new ways to like mix her songs and things. And it was interesting reading her explanation of that. Like, it wasn't quite an apology, but it was almost like she had to say, like, like I'm going to be growing and it's not going to sound as polished as my yeah. last album, but that's good because I'm going to, like, <laughs> grow as a musician, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, deliberately putting herself back into that space of, like, I'm learning and it's going to be awkward for a bit. <laughs> yeah. You know? So with something like meditation, I can think of using the beginner's mindset pretty easily because I don't think of a meditation master as like an Mm endpoint for meditation. Other parts of my life, like with art, I feel like it's really easy to get bogged down into how I can be, how I can solve the problem Mm -hmm. of what I'm doing right Mm -hmm. now. I'm drawing, but it doesn't look the way I want to. It's not as good as I want it to be. There's all of these other people who are farther and better than me. How do I solve this? And not looking at it from a beginner's mindset, from an amateur playfulness. Are there tricks that somebody can use to to embrace the like amateur playfulness in something that maybe is more traditionally solvable? Yeah. 
the the beginner's mindset from the Zen point of view is definitely like metaphorical. It's not it's not about meditation. One of the things that's hard about this is that like there is something attitudinal about about the thing. It's not it's not about like a way to do it, but about like the way that you feel and think mm. as you're doing the thing. It's the same question as like how do you let yourself play and try mm-hmm. new things, yeah. even as you are like at the same time as you're trying to get better right. at your craft, right? I wonder about maybe as a as a way to remind oneself of this is to like pay attention to children more, for example. <laughs> you know, like it's hard sometimes when we're in a like an adult world where so many people are kind of still within this realm of like. Even if they're not necessarily acting as experts, like we see them as, oh, they're better than me. So like we frame them that way mm-hmm. and intention. Like, so, so it's really hard to kind of escape the uh, escape thinking about things from uh, from the point of view of like uh, of goal completion and success and achievements and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all of and like so many of the systems that we're involved in are kind of built around that too, around uh, around. Um, things doing things for the sake of uh, of recognition or achievement, and so to surround yourself uh, more often with examples of people who are doing that, uh, namely children, <laughs> you know, who are only doing anything just for the sake of exploring. I think it might be for me actually difficult to look at the way children approach the world and be like, oh, I should just do that more. Because I feel like such a, I have such a disconnect to children. So I'm like, well, of course you're you're approaching this with a playfulness because you have no idea what you even like want to do. Like you're just you're approaching everything with playfulness and like, but you also have no responsibilities and you have no, well, you know, children have responsibilities, but they're not the same responsibilities. And I think you'd be like, well, as soon as you go to school or as soon as you mm-hmm. graduate from school and you have like a house and a job and a life that you have to maintain, you're not going to approach life that way anymore. And I think it may be better to have peer examples mm, right. doing it to show you how. What did you think of Linda Berry and her stuff? I don't have the same uh, fascination with Linda Berry that everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Um, Linda Berry's fine. What do you mean? What way do you or mean? Just, uh, did you do the writing exercises and mm-hmm. stuff like this? Like, How did you feel doing that stuff? It felt fine. I didn't really consider it approaching it with like a playfulness. Hmm. I think she's very much one of the things she's trying to do is like help us connect with the artists we were or the creative people we were Mm -hmm. as kids. Like how creativity was like just part of our lives and Mm -hmm. how that gets lost along the way. And so a lot of her exercises and books and things are about trying to help us find that way back. Mm. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I had that... that, um connection with it because I think the only uh, exercise I remember doing is the writing exercise where you you like closed your eyes and you imagined where you were Mm -hmm. and then you like look to the left and Mm -hmm. what do you see there and that kind of stuff I never wrote stories that way Mm -hmm. so it was completely new process so it's not like it brought me back to my childhood it was completely new way of doing it I I don't think anyone I think very few people do it that way well yeah but if very few people do it that way then how are those exercises bringing you back to the childhood way of that particular thing she's asking one of the ways that she's asking to do it is to like think of a memory from your childhood and like put yourself in like the, the eyes of a child body like during that memory 
that's how I think it gotcha. it, it does the thing. Um, I don't think that all of her exercises are specifically like children do this thing and then you're mm. going to do the same thing that children do. It's like, it's, it's more about like, what are some games that we can play or what are some, like, like what are some structures that we can use that help us um, break out of, of the patterns that we have as adults that are built around, that are often built around, um, around, you know, goals and, uh, and, uh, measurements of, of skill or whatever. It's not, well, it's partly that, and I think it's partly... Um, we have much stronger voices as adults of the the voices that ask, like, is this good? Mm. And is this worth doing? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think a lot of her exercises are about getting to a place where you can just be making something and not worry about those voices. Yeah. <laughs> and just make it for the sake of making it. <laughs> and make it and then put it away for three months and not look at it. <laughs> like, um... And in and, and that, in building that muscle again of like, I'm just going to make this and it's coming out of my, my, my mind, hands, body, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's going to be a thing um, without having to like plan it or have the high stakes around it or mm-hmm. like worry about it if it's good or not. Um, yeah. So it's just practicing that muscle. Yeah. Does anything come to mind as like a definition of amateur for you now? I don't think my definition of amateur has changed. Mm -hmm. I think my connotations of amateur Mm -hmm. has changed. Mm -hmm. Because to me, amateur still means not professional and sort of like jumping into it without necessarily knowing all the steps for like where it's going or how to do it even. Um, Jumping into it with... with, uh, just a curiosity, mm-hmm. which I sort of always kind of felt, but um, I don't think of it negatively mm. anymore. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a bad thing anymore. Yeah. Right. It's very related to the way to the DIY, yeah, and the zine ethos to me, and just trying things and doing it and mm. not worrying about whether it was up to someone else's standards, you know, mm-hmm. was always a thing, how we approach things at Malcaz, which I think has been important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, to say, like, disregard for measurements of, what's the word? Skatekeepers. Yeah, disregard for, like, just what other people think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you said that. I'm trying to think of any situation where a gatekeeper is a good thing. I mean, I, that's a that's a whole conversation. The question, uh, I don't know, like, what is it? What does it all mean? I think that's a whole different yeah. episode. <laughs> uh, well, I think one of the things that keeps people from being an amateur, like mm. trying something mm-hmm. in an amateur way, yeah. oftentimes is some sort of gatekeeper, some sort of idea that it's not good enough for some standard, whatever standard that is, whoever's deciding yeah. what that standard is. And we definitely have an internalized gatekeeper. You sure. Know, like uh, we we build these voices that say like you know this isn't worth doing unless you mm-hmm. know unless it's good enough unless you can um, unless someone's impressed by it or whatever. And it's interesting to think about what are all the things that uh, that allow us to transcend those voices mm-hmm. um, because I think about like gifts for uh, gifts for like uh, for like romantic gifts. 
right like when we like there are there are so many some of these scenes are like driven by passion right mm-hmm. like the the images of it's like of like serenading people or they're making like <laughs> making like adventures to people you know like uh, uh uh coming up with like a date idea mm-hmm. like you know, like making cards for people all these yeah. kinds of gifts are often like the place where we allow ourselves mm-hmm. to uh to just try something out because we want to share something with someone. Yeah. You know, we want to share a feeling right. with someone. And, and we know that, like, maybe there's, like, some level of um, of trust that we have mm-hmm. that, like, it's going to be okay. Or it's just that, like, we have a sense, like, a feeling that we want to convey that's so strong that it doesn't matter if it's, like, uh, uh, if we don't know how to do this thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important, too, that if you are making a gift for someone mm-hmm. that you love and trust, like you have some faith that they're not going to judge it. It's mm-hmm. like more about the effort you put in and the thought and the gesture and like, and you know, all of that comes through. Yeah. That's what, um, dressing up Robert started <laughs> as. Cause I had done a little doodle of him, but then I made Christmas cards where he was mm-hmm. like wearing different stuff. And, all of them. <laughs> and I don't know if I would have done it. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if i had had to do it for to like make it for something to sell right away right you know yeah. like if it's like oh this is gonna be at an art show right. or i'm gonna like do this in a booth it probably wouldn't have happened i would have been like this isn't in not good enough but i had so much fun that first christmas like <laughs> wrapping him in a string of christmas lights and... <laughs> that makes me think uh, like um i always had trouble journaling until i started writing letters to people it wasn't exactly journaling, but it was like there was a period where I was like, okay, I'm not gonna try to like write a like write diary entries mm-hmm. because I always like you know do it for like a week and then like stop. Yeah. Um, but I started like writing a letter to people like I don't know once a week or whatever. Um, and when I started doing that, I think one one of the things that helped was that I knew that someone was going to be reading it on the other side. And that mm-hmm. they would accept it, right? Like that—that that this was gonna like ha- like go somewhere. Whereas I do think I had this like a little bit of an expectation or like um, uh, imagination that like if I'm writing a diary, it has to be like this thing that people are gonna dig up and read. And it's gonna be, yeah, yeah. No, we're like, oh right. man. So like, it, it, it's it's so kind of like it, it makes it so easy to kind mm-hmm. of like um, fill that activity mm-hmm. with all of the pressures and expectations and uh, and yeah. uh, you know like. Uh, the things that make it just harder and harder to yeah. do unless you can do it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is weird for a diary, but I, I'm totally. sure that like, yeah, plenty of people like, like, have yeah. this same feeling. Oh, yeah. And, and writing a letter to someone, letting it get sent out, and knowing that someone on the other side was going to, like, mm-hmm. you know, a friend would just be like, yeah. oh, this is, you know, I'm going to read it. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter. It allowed me to, like, to, to uh, do something. So it makes me think about, like, the, uh, the use or the... Um, uh, the effect of like community mm-hmm. around uh, around being an amateur and how that helps uh, like having someone to to uh, accept having people to to accept and uh, um, uh, share in your work mm-hmm. I think yeah. is a really useful part of having an amateur mindset but at the same time it's like sometimes there are consequences to it and how do we steal ourselves against that right like if yeah. we want to hold on to a um, uh, amateur attitude we also have to be resilient to mistakes and mm-hmm. failure and, and the fallout of those yeah. and not mistakes. accept not interpret that as saying anything about your worth yeah you know? yeah and not to but, take that as shame yeah not to take it as shame I, like interpret it as oops i'm a mistake mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm learning yeah. Um, yeah. 
And also yeah. to be, and like the flip side of that is to be less critical of ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I struggle with because I, I definitely have a really strong critical voice. Yeah, me <laughs> too. And lens on things, you know? And I'm, I'm sure I learned it from my family and I'm mm. sure it's just Gate it's keepers. honed mm. I mean it's just honed it's like as designers too we just like yeah. hone that critical and it makes your stuff better but then it's really easy to have that critic be sort mm. of like blanket for everything instead yeah. of when it is useful right there's like a place and a time to be like um, giving feedback or being critical mm-hmm. of your work yeah. but that needs to be bound (laughs) and that's like when it's useful and when people are ready for it or when you're even ready for it is when it's useful and then not have it be run away one of my favorite uh styles of youtube videos are film analysis videos Mm. but there's a lot of different kinds and the ones that i Mm. really love are the ones that look at very very specific aspects of something like the music of a film but they also have caveats that say, like, I love this movie. Yeah. This movie is great. Yeah. Here's an area where I think they failed trying to achieve this specific goal. And here's why. And let's, like, analyze it and and look at it with a critical eye. But also look at it with the eye of this movie is still great. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we don't do that when we criticize things. Mm-hmm. We see a thing that is bad in a thing. And we're like, oh, it's all bad. Right, right. Yeah. Everything's all bad. Yeah. Um, and I think... Something about having both sides of that when you're being critical helps you to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about like sharing stuff mm-hmm. that you're trying out and like how sharing with the community that you know is going to appreciate what you're doing helps you try stuff out. I think the relationship can matter in that case. Uh, mm-hmm. It's easier to be like, I love this thing. And then we're going to, like, you know, talk about this part of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, like, you know, the the film uh, or the uh, the YouTubers that you're talking about uh, managed to, like, build that kind of thing into, mm-hmm. into their process. But I think it's, like, a little more automatic when we do that with people we know and with our friends. Sure. Um, and I wonder how we can, like, look at yourself as a friend creating something. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. having the critique come from, like, uh, not from, like, you know, I am challenging myself or criticizing myself, but, like, what if the work that I'm making is, so if someone handed this to me mm-hmm. that I knew, you know, how do you have the light touch there? Yeah. When you talk about um, a community of people to share stuff with, I also think about another aspect that makes it easier to try things out and be an amateur mindset is... Um, having other people to do it with yeah mm-hmm. um i was thinking about like the podcasts or some of the events we throw it's mm-hmm. like the reason it's easy to just be like let's just try it it's like we're doing it together mm-hmm. and so um it's what it's more fun like that's just one aspect that is um like not to be underestimated because I think that's part yeah. of the playfulness and the curiosity, mm-hmm. right? Like if it's gonna be fun to try this thing, if we're all trying to figure it out together, and even if we all fail miserably, at least we had this fun experience of yeah. doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we're learning together, and we all like bring different things to it, um, so it doesn't feel like it lowers the stakes because there's like it's not just all on you. Yeah. Here's the thing for me is that things get much less fun for me. When I try to do them professionally, mm. I guess like if amateur is in contrast to professionalism, mm-hmm. when at least for me, when I go, when I try to be like more professional about things, 
I lose the love for the thing. So when I was like doing, uh, when I was doing parkour for, I was doing parkour for a long time. And eventually I was like, uh, I was trying to make a go of like coaching and, uh, and running a business with a friend of mine mm-hmm. where we would like do classes and stuff. But like just the whole process of that to start, I mean, there are various aspects of it. Like working together was difficult and learning how to run a business that I hadn't done before was like pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, like there was, there was so much added stuff to it. Uh, that wasn't about the practice of the mm-hmm. of the of parkour or teaching at all. Both of which I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. and it really drained a lot of the uh, the enthusiasm that I had mm-hmm. uh, for the for the thing. So, do you never approach anything with a professional mindset? Yeah, I think I've stopped. I think I've like just totally <laughs> decided like I just don't care about professionalism anymore. <laughs> like I care about being like like kind to people. Uh-huh. I care about like you know. You know, all the, all the, the things around professionalism in terms of like, you know, like treating people with respect and like valuing people's time, like whatever. Those are those are like, those are great. Yeah. <laughs> but but like the idea of like, uh, of, yeah, hanging, hanging your professional identity, like an occupation around things like mm-hmm. this is like, yeah, I just not, I'm not interested in hmm. that anymore. Interesting. So do you do you find any value in that? Personally? Yeah. Uh, in, in, in what? professionalism in any, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, not, not that anyone else is wrong for doing it any other way, but I just like, um, I just, I'm not interested. How do you think of, of your, like working on craft in relation to professionalism or like getting better at something? No, I don't I think, mean, they're not really, uh, are they related? Anymore? Oh, well, I don't think that amateur necessarily means you're always bad at the thing. I don't think too much about the concept of craft, but I think a lot about like really caring about what mm. I'm, you know, like I think because, you know, if it's, if amateurism is about passion and love, I think the times that I'm best at it are when I'm really, when I just really care about what I'm doing. Sometimes you get like really just engrossed mm. in like putting something together. Like, uh, but it's not about, uh, but it's not because I, like, I'm not trying to be the best at anything. Mm. In fact, I think it's often more fun for me. Like, Christina was talking about, uh, you know, emerging scenes and stuff. It's more fun for me to discover, like, that uh, something that I haven't tried before and then figure out for myself, like, what is, what, what, how, how do I get better at it? And uh, I think professionalism or, like, being a professional or whatever um, tends to put me in this space where I'm like, where I, I do get, I do compare myself to other things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to fit into some kind of industry or some kind of like other, uh, some standards that like, I don't necessarily agree to. Right. And those are, those are parts of yeah. what's, uh, wear me down. Yeah. I think I, there's, it's interesting cause I see myself being drawn to, to things that are new, like industries that are new or scenes that are emerging. I think, one aspect of that is that when something is new there isn't a set way to do things and so everyone who's involved in it at that point is just at this amateur level and trying to figure it out and there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of curiosity and it's like super interdisciplinary because they're like this thing doesn't exist yet so it's not like anyone has studied it so mm. it's like you get people from all over who are like interested in this thing that hasn't emerged yet um so it's very cross-disciplinary and interdisciplinary like one example is like at some point interaction design user experience design was still a very new field 
Um, and so it drew people from human computer, computer interactions and anthropologists and library science majors and designers and artists and um, computer scientists. So it was like all these different fields. And that was like very rich. It was very interesting to have those conversations and to be in that in the space at that point, trying to figure out what is this? How are we defining it? What are we doing? Um, and how can we learn from all these different fields? But it doesn't take very long. I feel like five to 10 years later, by the time I was working, I remember we had an intern who had gone straight to undergrad for a user experience degree. And it was, he was like very good at his craft. Like it was visually very polished stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it lacked that sort of depth or richness because he wasn't bringing anything else. He had gone straight from high school to like, I'm going to study UX. Right, right. <laughs> right. So it didn't have any of the other backgrounds to draw from. Hmm. And that's just, it's interesting to watch that happen in industries. And I, I'm like really drawn to the, to the new stuff or the stuff that can stay yeah. really curiosity driven, interdisciplinary, like really like keep redefining itself or something. Do you think amateur is an antithesis to professional? I don't, I'm not sure. Hmm. I think I think we tend to think of it on that spectrum. Sure. Which is why I like like thinking of it as more like a zine ethos or a beginner's mind ethos. Because I think you can be a professional and still have, have that been. mindset yeah. or that way of working or the way of looking yeah. at your craft or your world. Yeah, yeah. I think there are tremendous pressures to stop doing that. Yeah. When you, like in, in a professional industry. Sure. It's not like diametrically opposed. Yeah. But it's a, I, I think there, like, a, like industry and professional work is hostile to amateurism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was and gonna, you really have to yeah. like carve your space to make yeah. that happen. From your story, it feels like you think that amateur is like, the opposite of professional. And I'm, as soon as you start yeah. to try I mean, to be I'm professional, only, yeah. you lose the amateur and you lose I'm the I'm saying that from my my, like yeah. my my very personal perspective. Yeah. Like, that happens to me. Because yeah. I think yeah. structurally, it is really hard. You have to be really yes. intentional yeah. about it to yeah. do it. So, like, I'm the example... I'm unintentional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or because it, it rushes no, no it, right? Because <laughs> the... Uh, like, my example with Marion and then uh, Lucy Bell was cartoonist and she was talking about this in one of her rambles recently of how when we put when we start to think about how we make money doing things or how do we like get it grow an audience or how do we like make do our business and how we like it's all these other things that we're doing that is not the practice of creativity and it's not the practice of play and it's not the practice of like let me do this thing for no reason (laughs) like let me do this thing that no one will see or that is not strategic for my business or that Mm -hmm. is not um going to help me or we're not going to make any money because it is going to be super bad <laughs> and it's going to be super weird and it's going to be super dumb and mm-hmm. I still want to do it, but yeah. it's not going to. So it's like really hard to find the time for that when everything else, when you are trying to be professional at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you either have to carve out separate time for it or just like have, that's why like, I think that's why residencies and sabbaticals and things mm-hmm. are yeah. important and why people are drawn to them. Um, or like people jump around. I think like, Anytime people are drawn to like a new medium or a new thing, mm-hmm. uh, modality or genre, or like I'm gonna play music when mm-hmm. I normally draw, like anything like yeah. that, is like right. a way to get your mind into like a different space. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's so much baggage yeah. once you like really are. It's safe. Yeah. It's risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
do you think there's a way to approach those professional sides of professionalism? <laughs> well, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the growing an audience and the mm-hmm. doing the business side of things. Do you think there's a way to approach that with the amateur mindset, the beginner's mindset? So I that almost, they are... I think you can... Well, I think it's almost better to just like have them be separate. You're like, here's my professional hat. That's worried about all of that. And then I'm going to take my my beginner's mind out to recess every once in a while and like buy an ice cream. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to like try to make the business stuff do that, like fill that need of like, let me go run around at recess. Or that's what like the artist yeah. dates are that Julia Cameron talks about, right? How, how do you feel about, um, you know, holding on to curiosity and playfulness in, um, in your work right now? Right now? Oh, man. Because I feel I'm like never part prepared of this, to answer questions. Yeah, I mean, like part of it, but I feel like part of what you're asking is like I'm is, is around that because like yeah. for both of us, we're like, fuck it, I don't want, I'm just not well, gonna for try. You, <laughs> yeah, for you, it seems like where you're like, I have no interest in making my creative endeavors a business, yeah. so there's no need to uh, to be to ever try and be. Or, or at least I tell my I tell myself that story a right. lot so that I can release myself from. Yeah, yeah. and so I'm just thinking about people who are trying to make their creative work their business. And it seems like professionalism is really uh, draining and um, you lose some of the joy that we talk about when we talk about approaching things with an amateur mindset, with uh, playfulness and with curiosity and with the thing that got you doing it in the first place, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm wondering if there's ways to approach those aspects of the business of art that don't seem fun and always seem corporate and and don't don't ever feel rewarding. If there's a way to approach those with that amateur mindset, as well, like I think the 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 thing we're trying to capture is like finding that play and that passion and that mm-hmm. spark of like why you did it in the first place. Yeah. Right. And that can happen in parallel to you being a professional artist. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I think you're asking like, mm. can you approach the business side in that way? And I'm like, I don't know if it would solve either mm. to do that. Um, you can, you mm-hmm. can like part of your creativity. Some people find it really uh, rewarding to like use their creativity towards like how I'm going to think about marketing or how I'm going to think about this campaign mm-hmm. or whatever. Like um, you can use some of that towards that. Yeah. Um, but that still doesn't answer yeah. the question of finding because I think because there's always an audience because one of my answers to like how people who are in professional settings can find that space for themselves. I'm thinking of these examples of like our friend Jessica recently was talking about like having a hobby that she's never sharing, not even on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's like just hers. And like this other woman, Rachel, was talking about how um she was writing letters to her friends and it was like a series of blog posts and it was just going to be to these eight people and it was like because it was that little niche and it was like people she trusted like she could play and do whatever she wanted and she knew that that would feed her but it didn't have to feed her business okay and that i think that's really important like even if you're approaching your business stuff your professional stuff with that beginner's mind and you should um but whatever play you do there is constrained by like there's people 
and their state. Sure, it's not just any people, right? Yeah. It's people that like you are for some, you for some reason owe something to yeah. or like or de- like rely on but have no relationship with. Right? Yeah. And I'm not saying this is like necessarily true, but there's a difference between the audience right. of like eight people right. that she right. writes right. a letter that Rachel writes a letter to and like, you know, random people who are supposed to buy her stuff. Like that's that that's a very different kind of audience. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something different between um uh yeah, relationships mm-hmm. and um and clients or, or customers. So do you think uh an amateur mindset has to be no audience or an audience that you are very familiar with like does it does it have to be friends and family and i don't think there's a i don't think there's a i, I wouldn't say there's a There's're black like and a white, white yeah. for anything and i yeah well i'm for some reason this idea i've never approached this so i have no idea how it would work but the idea of approaching let's say um uh we're right we're both writing graphic novels let's say it gets to the point where we have to like promote the graphic novel mm-hmm. pretty regularly because the book is done or whatever mm-hmm. and we're trying to maybe sell it i don't know um for some reason the idea of approaching that task with the joyful amateur mindset oh yeah that'd be great <laughs> feels really yeah energizing yeah rather than approach it with there is a right way and a wrong way to do this mm-hmm. and if i do it wrong right. i will fail rather approach it with a I'm curious how to do this. I want to do it with joy. Doesn't really matter how well it does. You know? Yeah. I wonder if there's a value to that. Absolutely. Not about, or like part of it is not about a, about having it on all the time. Mm. It's about finding all the opportunities that you can mm. and using them there. Yeah. Using it there. Right. Yeah. Like um, I'm not a professional chef. Uh, therefore, whenever I cook, I can experiment and play around and it's like not a big deal. Uh, if I were, uh, if I, but if I were, you know, um, you know, like I might be able to find the opportunity to play when I'm doing like the, the crew meal or mm-hmm. when I'm like, you know, for like the one special dish or, you know, like there are places that, that it can, it can happen. Yeah, yeah. And you have to find those, like seek those out. And the attitude is about like, uh, being sensitive to that, to, to when when that's available for you, and and applying it as often as possible because it's very, it, it can be rejuvenating. Yeah, uh, right. To do so and and to not do so can be like debilitating. Mm-hmm. So and I think it to embrace it when it does come. So yeah. like, the example of promoting a, your first graphic novel mm-hmm. with an amateur mindset sounds amazing, and that's really easy to do when it's your mm-hmm. first graphic novel. Like for the person who is like, this is my tenth rodeo and i want to try this really dumb amateur idea it's gonna be harder and sure. it would probably be amazing still and it mm. but it, that's why it's harder that's why the yeah. professional thing is harder because like it's your temp thing yeah. and you want to try this amateur yeah idea um hmm. but it's probably it's probably better for the world <laughs> yeah for some reason they think that amateur professional the a person i think about an artist i think about is jonathan harris okay um and i was looking at his website again recently and he's just done so many projects that are like completely like different than what he's done before uh, so like one thing he did was he did um he went 
and shadowed a bunch of whale hunters in the Arctic. Mm -hmm. And he took pictures. Um, He had them, I think he had them hooked up to like heart monitors. And so based on the average like pulse of the the people, Mm -hmm. he would like take that many pictures during the hunt so that you got, so it was like, he does a lot of like infographic type storytelling. Um, And then another project he did was like a photo and a story of his life uh, once a week for the whole year he was turning X, I don't know, however old he was. Mm. Um, And then he created a platform called Cowbird, which was like um, a way for people to tell audio and visual stories like of their like personal stories wow. and that was like a platform and they needed to anyway it's so, like there wow. are all these like very different things yeah um and he's he's able to just keep like following where he needs to go right like it's very much like driven by if you can tell it's very much driven by like i have an inquiry i am mm-hmm. like curious about this thing like or the or there is this thing that i need to do yeah. to explore and i'm gonna do it and i really admire artists like that and I and and I there's a question that I'm like sort of trying to figure out what it is. It's something around like I think one of my fears in in following my energy sometimes is that I become this sort of like person of all trades, master of none. You know? Do you know that quote? Wait, Do you know the, the whole thing? No. Jack of all trades, master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one is the actual full oh, quote. Really? Yeah. I love that changes everything, that doesn't changes it? Everything because mm-hmm. we always just say it as the first part as mm-hmm. a derogatory, like bad thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Say it again. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. What do you think a good call to action? is for somebody who is not familiar with approaching something well yeah, yeah approaching something with an amateur mindset i like to look for things that don't matter i don't know how like how to frame this um no I, I look for i look no for sticks. opportunities to do things that can be like that can be really quick mm-hmm. and that that i can throw away um mm-hmm. and that's fine but like that they that they can they can happen you know i used yeah. to run this uh a a, a games playtesting group where mm-hmm. like or a, a games like open mic where i would just invite people to bring stuff to play uh once a month and i would often make like five different games because i wasn't sure if anyone else was bring <laughs> anything you know I, I could never be sure yeah. there was always there was like a form for like submitting a thing but like people would bring stuff and no one would ever uh say that they were going to so i was like okay well i guess i'm running it i have to like have something prepared yeah. so i'd make all these stupid things i'll play like two of them maybe uh but the practice uh, yeah. of doing that on a monthly basis was uh was uh yeah really useful and so I think, like, you know, for whatever someone, whatever uh, you, dear listener, are interested in, you know, um, what is, like, what is a version of that thing that you're doing that you can make a bunch of quickly, you know? And trash. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's not a big deal to throw it away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually, I think recently I have been trying to listen to the dumb ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and I call them quote unquote dumb because they don't make sense within capitalism or the industry or like how we're supposed to do things. Mm-hmm. 
but they're usually really fun ideas <laughs> and like energizing um and super dumb <laughs> yeah um and something about following that energy has been really good this past month and i think part of it is because they are the ideas that are that beginner's mindset or that like there isn't a set way to do things how might we do things differently mm. um or like let's just play with this thing and if it's dumb i won't share it with anyone <laughs> or if it's dumb i'll share it with everyone um i think something about following that energy and listening to that voice is a is an interesting exercise to try. You have been listening to this passage from Mount Cass, conversations from a creative community, recorded at Chateau Rev and produced at Mount Cass Studios in Corvallis, Oregon. Check out the show notes for music credits and more information about all the people and things we talked about. Look at the joy and curiosity that you approached reading that with. <laughs>